Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. for it. Man, this time through the loudest for me. <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't you didn't do the I haven't done me. I haven't you didn't do the thing. Oh, hi everybody. Welcome to Someone's Merrill Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host Justin Tyler McElroy. And I'm Sydney Smurl McElroy. It's bracing. It's bracing. It's bracing. Right there. Um, so we're sorry. Uh, what's up, Denver? What's up? Hey. Wow, excitable. Sorry about the hold up, getting started, but we hadn't heard late. Uh, started late, you would have heard that awesome Harmar Superstar track. So worked out for everybody, I guess. Um, Sid. Yes. Uh, we tried to go thematic. Yes, whenever we go on the road, mm-hmm. as it were. Yes. Uh, and uh, we, so whenever I started asking people like, oh, we're going to do a show in Denver. What medical thing, when you think of <laughs> Denver, Colorado, yeah, every, everybody says weed, y'all. <laughs> everybody. Which, which is great, except one, we already did an episode on, on marijuana. Sorry, we, already, we did that already. And two, like, you guys all just, just do it for funsies here. So. Yeah. <laughs> our, our Not all ge- medical. Yeah. It's, you're just getting high. <laughs> which is totally fine. But that's mm. not the show. As people who hail from a state that still respect the vision of our forefathers <laughs> when they made weed illegal. You mean, uh, you mean a, state, a state that, that legalized medical marijuana last year, but has no dispensaries, so it doesn't matter. Just legal in name only. Uh, I know, it's a bummer. So we didn't do weed? No. So Justin and I started talking, what else could we, what, what could we do? And we came up with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Because Rocky Mountain... Sounds good, right? right? They're right there. When you make your world-famous, beloved course beer, you're tapping the Rockies. I hear all about it. So we assume that that would be... Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever would be like... you'd be every, uh-huh. One out of every three people here has got to have it. 
you assume, right? There's got to be like clinics. That's why they made weed legal for all the documents. <laughs> not a fever. Uh, So I did all this research. I found all these neat stories about it. And among, in my research, among the facts that I discovered about Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is that it almost never happens in Colorado. <laughs> it's incredible, which is great. I mean, that's good for you guys. But it's incredibly rare here. So I just feel really excited about that. <laughs> and Congratulations, <learn>. Colorado. <laughs> it's actually, what's really interesting, it's completely misnamed because it doesn't really even occur very often in the Rocky Mountains anymore, like it can, but it's mostly in the South and Southeast United States. So, so what is it? Okay. Well, first of all, several people recommended this. Heather, Kendra, and Brittany. Thank you. And uh, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is a bacterial infection. It's caused by an organism called uh, Rickettsia rickettsii. Whoa. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's named for a dude, which we'll we'll talk about the dude. Did he put his name in both of them? He did. Nice. Mm -hmm. My man. (laughs) All right. His bacteria. Um, It's carried by ticks. There are different species of ticks that can carry it, but the most common are the American dog tick and the Rocky Mountain wood tick. And you do have those ticks here. It just, they don't tend to carry Rocky Mountain spotted fever here, uh, which is good. Uh, The tick is both the vector and the host, which is kind of interesting. So like it carries it around for its whole life. It's not taking it from one human and giving it to another, although it could do that. It just carries it. It's infected with it. And then it can pass it along to its little tick babies. Great. You know. <laughs> Gross. And then on to people. About 1% to 2% of these ticks are infected. So it's, it's fairly rare, which is a good thing. Um, One time I got back from camping and I thought I had marshmallows stuck in my hair. And I sat uh, on the couch when I was like 12 watching Dark Man. Remember that one? So watching Dark Man, the movie, and fiddling with this marshmallow, like, man, that marshmallow is really in there. And then I finally pulled that chunk of marshmallow out of my hair. You know, s'mores. That was from s'mores. <sighs> finally pulled the chunk of marshmallow out there, and the tick's legs are still wiggling. And I'm like, so I don't like ticks now. Now I'm against ticks. Did you like ticks before? Agnostic. No. <laughs> I did believe in ticks. <laughs> Ambivalent. I was ambivalent to them. <laughs> the thing about ticks is they exist whether or not you believe in them. So, uh, The symptoms, should you ever be unlucky enough to get this, are well, a fever. That's, that's in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dead giveaway. Yeah. Uh, some nausea, some vomiting. You can get aches and pains all over in your muscles and your joints and an upset stomach. Um, and then you also get the rash. That's where the spotted part comes from. And it's, a, it's an interesting rash, if you think rashes are interesting. <laughs> and that it, it starts... At least half the people on this stage certainly do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it starts on your hands and feet and moves inward. And uh, it, can ha- it can occur on your palms and soles. And there aren't a lot of rashes that can do that. Mm, fascinating so. for some. <laughs> <laughs> The big deal with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is that it can lead to very serious complications and even death in some cases. Not so often these days, but back on the American frontier, it it very often did. And so that's where we're going to focus because it was first documented all the way back in the 1800s. Back then, a lot of different names for similar diseases 
probably overlapped. So they called it a lot of the time black measles because the rash can get, um, the rash is petechial, which is like broken little blood vessels under your skin. And they can like get darker. So it looked like measles, but really dark. Like petechia is it, you get those on your nose. Is this gym blossoms? Is it the same thing? Or no, really spotting different. on your face when you throw up? If you, if you throw up too hard, yes. <coughs> Good job. Yes. Good job. You're learning things. Uh, this also could have been called just mountain fever. There are a lot of different um, tick-borne illnesses as well as just other random things that settlers got, and they kind of called them all the same thing. So when you hear old descriptions of black measles or mountain fever or uh, typhoid, typho-malaria, all these different names, they could, I mean, who knows what they really were. They were one of these, this variety of diseases. This was one of the most feared among settlers because if we went back and did statistics at the time, it had up to like a 30% mortality rate. So this was a really scary disease to get on the frontier. Dang. It doesn't now. Don't worry. Um, the, nobody knew why people got it. They knew they went into the mountains and then they got sick. And so they came up with a lot of odd theories as to why that might happen. One of the most popular was that if you drink melted snow, uh. you'll, get, you'll get this. Huh. Um, it also, I saw one, uh, one doctor comment that they thought it was that all of these lungs that weren't used to breathing pure mountain air yes. <laughs> did for the first time and then got sick. It's too good. <laughs> the air is too good for us. Have you felt that since we've been here? Mm, I can't handle this air. Where's the coal? <laughs> uh this, obviously, since nobody understood why people were getting sick, it led the way for a lot of quacks to come and, and pitch whatever their wares were for you to buy. Or um, one of the most popular things doctors would do, well, doctors, you know, <laughs> people who called themselves doctors, would do is offer to test your water, your snow runoff water, <laughs> to see if it had the Rocky Mountain spotted fever in it, and then they would give it the clear. They had no way of doing this, so this was all <laughs> completely made up. Um, but they would take a lot of money from you to do that. Uh, and then, then just either say, like, don't drink that, or no, that seems fine. Uh, there, <laughs> there were... They would test your snow? Well, like melted snow water, like runoff. Okay. Sure. Yeah, it was specifically that water. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they were wrong. It wasn't. Perfect. It was okay. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, I'm challenging them now. They're dead, long dead. Um, <laughs> at this point in history, homeopathy was alive and well yeah, where's the round of a huge round of applause yeah. for our great friend, homeopathy, uh, on the American frontier? And so there were a lot of like kind of poisonous, but then you take the poison and you dilute it and dilute it and dilute it until it's really just water that you could prescribe for any of these fevers that people got. And one in particular that was very popular was the venom from a dagger-headed viper that is only found in Brazil, so you can't find this, and then diluted, 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 diluted it's until pointless. it's water. Yeah. And that was a very popular cure. Which you had to wonder, like, the guy who was selling this, like, how do you get all these snakes here? Psst. He was lying. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I know that. Um, quinine, we knew quinine worked for other things that caused fevers by now, so, like malaria. So, why not for any kind of fever? So, that was very popular. Um, whiskey, as always. Sure. Classic. Great treatment. 
why not? Uh, strychnine was very popular. <laughs> um, there was something called Dover's powders that a lot of people used. And Dover's powders was a specific patent medicine. So just a medicine that a guy made and sold to a lot of people. Uh, and most patent medicines contained something that was either narcotic or just made you like drunk, like alcohol. Uh, this contained Ipecac, opium, and uh, morphine. <laughs> Whoa! So... That's legit. I'm throwing up, but I feel great about it. And also, who could use a nap? Because... Now, a lot, of, a lot of people just had no idea. They didn't have access to these medicines, and so they were just like, I don't know, drink a lot of water, take a sponge bath. People were really desperate. And so the, the state of Montana was suffering the most from... Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. And so when it, well, when it became a state in 1889, I know that fact now. And uh, by 1901, at right, like soon after they became a state, they had set up a board of health specifically to address this problem. They wanted to try to get doctors to come. They were like, look, we got a lot of sick people here. <laughs> you got nothing else to do. They'll buy your medicines, whether they work or not. Please come. We need your help. So they started attracting doctors. Uh, and among them was Howard Taylor Ricketts. Ricketts here. Right. And uh, he became involved in the search for what was this. And they already had this idea that maybe ticks were responsible because there was this one documented case where a doctor was unfortunately doing an autopsy on a patient who had succumbed to Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. And he found a tick in his pubic hair. <laughs> and like... And this poor guy, like, this is what we remember about him, is that he had a tick in his pubic hair forever. This is what I know. All right, straight up, <laughs> but quick note. You can give me a pass for not realizing there was a tick in my hair. <laughs> you, you're gonna, you should notice. You, you, sh, you should notice a tick in your... I know religious mores were different at the time, but... <laughs> You should notice a tick there. <laughs> you should notice that. Well, he didn't, tragically. Maybe Although the gene pool without this particular individual is <laughs> a little him. bit cleaner. I'm just saying. Uh, no, you because... should notice a tick in your pupil. <laughs> to be fair, unlike... This is something I, I should have mentioned. Unlike with um, Lyme disease, which is spread by ticks, and the tick has to be attached for quite a while to get Lyme disease, with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, it doesn't. It can, you can actually get it pretty quickly from the tick. So, you maybe know. Maybe the tick left? It, it, maybe it was, no, I'm saying maybe it was only there for like an hour. Probably not, because <laughs> he died of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, so it wasn't. So it was there for a long time. So the tick, it was there for several weeks. The tick no-scope this dude. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, the tick's like, what's up? You're dead. Bye. And I'm sorry, Sid, sir. Did you say several weeks? Excuse me? Pro pro I mean, it could have, well... At least a, probably a week incubation. Come on. And then that could have been as little as 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> it's too Maybe. much, though. I don't know. When you said, to be fair, I thought you were going to say, back then, pubic hair was made of ticks. <laughs> like, that's the only, that's the only excuse. 
You gotta notice that. Listen, there's not a lot of medicine. You're gonna have to meet science halfway, such as it is. And you've gotta notice the ticks in your pubic hair, old timey people. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Uh, So Dr. Ricketts, based on this story of the pubic hair tick, uh, began to investigate could ticks be the source. And he actually was the one to confirm, of course, that, yes, this is being spread by ticks, and here's the organism, and he got to name it in 1909. So that was, it was pretty quick that he figured all that out. Um, and it, this is kind of the story of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is somebody would come in, figure something out, and then 
I, I don't know. People don't like to stay in Montana for very long. I don't know what the deal is. But then they leave, and somebody else comes up and takes over. So, like, he figured that out and was like, I'm gone now. I'm leaving. So he took off to go study typhus in Mexico right after that, and tragically, he died of typhus in Mexico, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, I firsthand <laughs> experience is the best teacher, I uh, guess. The, <laughs> The next person to come take over to confirm all of this and collect, like, to try to see, like, how, well, how many ticks and what, what other animals? Maybe is it in just ticks and humans or are there other animals getting this too? The next guy was someone named Clarence Birdseye, and he was training in the Bitterroot Valley. This is where a lot of these cases were. Um, to, to understand, like, the life cycle of these ticks and the, and the rickettsia and all that. And so he collected uh, just tons with. 717 small animals and 4,500 ticks. He bagged and tagged and figured all this out and, and gave everybody this knowledge. And then he took off to go develop the concept of frozen foods because his last name is Bird's Eye, and I'm not kidding. Bird's Eye frozen food. <laughs> Whoa, really? With that guy, yes. So he had like this little brief segue into catching rodents and ticks and then he went and made frozen food and it's the first good. time I'm, I'm ever glad i didn't make a dumb joke i was like so close to being like oh, but it wasn't <laughs> was it wasn't it was, was that one the frozen vegetable guy i guess bird's eye isn't Birdseye. that common of a name <laughs> so he did his thing and then he went off to make frozen vegetables so that's nice uh <laughs> So more people came in, and a lot at this point, we needed a lot of um, entomologists, which I like doing, I'm not an entomologist, I'm, I'm just a family doctor, but entomologists are so cool. They're always, if there, are there any entomologists here? No, oh, wait, hi. hold on. Yes. Wait, really? <laughs> wait, hold on. Shh, really? One more time. Be, everybody be super quiet. Are there any entomologists here? Okay, can you turn the house lights on, please? <laughs> oh, Justin. <laughs> you can turn us down a little bit. If you're an, wait, if you're an entomologist, please stand up. Where's our entomologists in the crowd? Please stand up. See an entomologist Yay! right there? There's another any one. Other ento- you better stand up and wave the hands, entomologist. This is your moment. It's your moment in the sun, entomologists. <laughs> Everybody, big round of applause for entomologists. Thank, Thank you for you, your service. See you over there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, entomologists. You know, You're there's just so on the recorded cool. version of this, you know, there's an entomologist listening that almost came. They're like, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> I knew I should have come. I don't know, but I feel like, it, like in the scientific world, entomologists are kind of like, are you like the, like the, Bad boys, bad girls, like the T-birds of the, of the scientific world. That's, that's my feeling. Because, I mean, entomologists, like, led the fight against malaria in the early days. Like, they were the ones, like, there weren't, it wasn't medical doctors. It was entomologists figuring all this stuff out. And entomologists were the ones who said, uh, okay, listen, the only way we're going to control this, because right now we have no treatments, we don't know, we don't know what to do. Doctors are going, I don't know, here's some whiskey. We've got to get rid of the ticks. So we're going to start a tick eradication program, and yeah. we're taking on the ticks. Man, kind. Let's do it. <laughs> and, 
And they started with that, and then they said, and the only way we're going to do that is if we get the ticks off of all this cattle. So here's what I want. And, and I'm imagining, like, all of these cattle ranchers would probably be pretty intimidating, like, like weathered cattle ranchers, like, out on the frontier. And the entomologists are like, here's what I'm going to have you do. You're going to take your cows and you're going to bring him to this big vat of arsenic solution I have because I'm going to get all the ticks off of him. And, of course, the cattle ranchers were like, no. <laughs> they were like, oh, yeah, because I've got the whole, the whole state government's behind me. Bring your cows. And that's what they did. They started this tick eradication program with cattle dip to dip the cows and get rid of all the ticks to stop the spread of Rocky Mountain spotted fever. That's and, this- how, and that's how French dip sandwiches were invented. Who <laughs> hey, knew? No. This set off this huge war where they were bringing their cows and it it took them a little bit to get like the right arsenic solution. So it wasn't killing the cows. It wasn't killing the cows, but I don't think it was pleasant. Um, and And it was not great for all the humans who were involved in the process either. And so it took them, so like obviously the, the cattle ranchers were pretty mad. And they weren't wanting to do this, so they started fighting back and protesting. And they actually, like, blew up one of the cattle dipping locations, like, with dynamite. Like, went and, like, blew it up. There was another one that they just took sledgehammers to and, like, destroyed it. (laughs) Mankind. (laughs) We're on a roll. But it really, like, this, in this story of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, you have this constant battle between the locals who are like, who are these weirdo scientists who are coming in and they're trying to, like, dip our cows in arsenic and they're killing all our ticks and, and they don't know how to treat this stuff and I'm just going to stick with my Dover's powders because I feel great on these. And, that, and this really, like, this headbutting was the rest of the tale. So meanwhile, doctors were like, we got to come up with something better. <laughs> We have no treatment for this, and they're blowing up cattle dipping stands. So we need something to do if people are going to get this. Um, And especially because people started to kind of get, like, it spread the idea that ticks were the bad guys. And so people started carrying carbolic acid, just a strong corrosive acid, with them. And if they would find a tick, they would remove the tick and then put carbolic acid on their skin. Thinking, like... This will stop whatever the poison is from spreading. And it did. No. No. All right. No. I I was 50-50, folks. I had to take a shot. So so two doctors started, two new guys came in, uh, Roscoe Spencer and Ralph Parker, decided, here's what we need. We need a vaccine, because vaccines are awesome. And, yes. We have no treatments. Let's instead of instead of dipping the cows and killing the ticks, why don't we just prevent it? Why don't we just vaccinate everybody? So, easiest solution, let's mash up a bunch of ticks. <laughs> mix it with carbolic acid again, with still there. <laughs> mix it with that and then inject it and see what happens. Which is exactly what they did. And they started off with, like, rodents. But then usually at that point, they would want to move on to, like, non-human primates. But they didn't have any. They only had, like, the human ones. So Dr. Roscoe Spencer, on May 19th, 1924, rolled up his sleeve and injected himself with mashed-up ticks and carbolic acid. And it it worked. (laughs) This is the crazy thing. 
the vaccine was actually kind of effective. It prevented it in some cases, and it, it, even if you did get the infection, it wasn't nearly as bad in most cases. So, I mean, not the best vaccine in the world, certainly not what we do today, before the time. If you had told me that, right like, now. he had turned into the tick, <laughs> created by Ben Allen, you had turned into that superhero, I would have been equally surprised. <laughs> So now that they had a vaccine and a way of preventing it, uh, this really, this was a big boon to like the scientists and the doctors who were working in the community, like, okay, well maybe, maybe these guys actually know what they're doing. And I think the fact that like Dr. Spencer actually tested it on himself, that maybe, you know, that provides you some reassurance, right? Like mm -hmm. they're outsiders, but I mean, he injected the ticks in his own arm. So, <laughs> so he can't be all bad. And so the, the, they're, initially they were doing this research, by the way, in like tents, like all these research labs that they started were like tents and then they graduated to like a cabin, finally like a farmhouse. And then eventually like because of this vaccine, they got to move on to like an abandoned schoolhouse. So they had like an actual building <laughs> and they, they actually used to call it the schoolhouse lab and they started making more vaccines and sending those out. And uh, the board of entomology, those entomologists again, finally said, look, look at all this progress we're making we've got this vaccine and we're, we're figuring out how to fight this thing. So they asked the state to provide them funds for like an actual lab, which they got. And in 1927, they got to build this big lab so that they could start, you know, actually making more, max, more vaccine, making it maybe in like a better way than just mashing up ticks hmm. um, and finding a treatment as well. If you already got it, what can we do? So this was great. They had the money, they're gonna build the lab. Everything's wonderful except there were still a lot of local people who were terrified of this, especially when you started reading reports that in this effort, some researchers and laboratory workers had gotten sick and died of Rocky Mountain spotted fever while they were trying to find these cures and prevention and treatment and all this. So locals started forming a coalition to say, no, we don't want your lab. We don't want your bugs. We don't want any of this here. Take your weird ideas somewhere else, I don't know, take your, take your weird big city ideas out of here, uh, we don't like it. And so they had this huge, there was a lawsuit and, this, and the, the locals fought and the cattle ranchers fought and the entomologists fought. <laughs> and what eventually the, the judge decided from all this was, okay, this place probably is kind of dangerous, which he wasn't wrong. It, I mean, it did deserve like a biohazard level, the lab. And I mean, it was originally just like, a cabin. So that wasn't like <laughs> wrong, but they said, you know, we do need it though, because this is a really bad fever and people are dying. So you can build it, but you have to build a moat around it <laughs> as well. Mankind. Three, four, three. So they did. They, they built the lab. They built the moat. This was by the a way, science moat. <laughs> This was based on the theory that ticks couldn't swim. <laughs> good, 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 good. So this lab, by the way, became Rocky Mountain Labs, which still exists, which is a big deal. It's part of, it, it eventually was absorbed into the National Institute of Health, and then I think now it's part of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. During World War II, it was like instrumental in pumping out all kinds of vaccines and everything, so it became this big, giant lab. I don't know. My one question is, does it still have a moat? I don't know. Probably. I would have to hope. That's inspirational. So we fixed it. Uh, yes, we actually, we did fix it eventually, not with a vaccine, 
Uh, there were multiple attempts through the years to make like a better vaccine that didn't involve mashing up ticks. Um, and they came up with some different ones that, that were good, that some of them worked, some of them didn't, um, some were more effective. But then the big breakthrough is antibiotics. We found that the tetracycline class of antibiotics, and specifically nowadays doxycycline, was very effective in treating Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So we just, if you get it, we give hey, it Hey, all yeah. right. Um, yeah, the, so that is uh, an impressive victory for science. We used to, mm -hmm. this used to be a terrifying thing, and now it's... We, yeah, we dropped the mortality rate from, like I said, back in the day, it would be like 30% to around 0.3%. So it's still, it's still a serious infection. So, I mean, in you fact, guys don't have to worry. We're in Colorado. But, <laughs> but uh, we still treat it very seriously, but now we're way better at treating it. In fact, this is extremely inspirational. Uh, we actually have a very brave young boy who survived Rocky Mountain spotted fever. This is true. This is true. This, a brave boy, brave boy, could you come out, please? This... This, at this point, my little brother, Griffin McElroy, joins us on stage. He did have Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and he does all sorts of flips and tricks to demonstrate his health. He couldn't do that. <laughs> if you had seen him just a few short years ago. Thanks, brave boy. Thank you. What a story. What an inspiration that young boy is. He lost a little bit of his peripheral vision, but... Well, this that's is funny. all true. Wow. I'm going to tell him you laughed. When Jessica first told me that, I thought, that can't be right. I actually went to Clint for confirmation. Like, is this, is this true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we're like 50-50, whether or not it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Griffin uh, says it's true. <laughs> thank you so much for having us here in your beautiful city, Denver. <laughs> um, we, uh, we wrote a... If you've never listened to our show before and you're here, has anybody ever listened before? It's okay to apply. Cool. Uh, I hope you all subscribe to the show and listen to it. Um, it's basically like this, and there's hundreds of episodes. Uh, but we've also got a book. If you'd like to check out a book, it's the Sawbones book, cleverly enough, and it's at bookstores everywhere and on Amazon and uh, everywhere fine books are sold. So go buy yourself a copy and uh, or three or four or five and put food on our child's table. <laughs> um, thank you so much uh, for having us. Thanks to Paul. Thanks for, for thank coming, you, I guess. And uh, Sid, do you have anybody you want to thank? Thanks to Maximum Fun Network for uh, uh, having us as part of their extended podcasting family. Thanks to the taxpayers for using their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Sydney, anything else to add? No, thank you to all of our family backstage who is taking care of our children. For watching <laughs> our many children. Yes. Uh, but that is going to do it for this time, folks. So until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.